Compliance, the final frontier. Tom Fox is the voyager of trekking through compliance. His mission? To explore the original series and seek out and share what it can teach you about compliance. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Trekking Through Compliance, Episode 72, The Lights of Zatar. In this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, we consider the episode The Lights of Zatar, which aired on January 31, 1969, and occurred on Stardate 5725.3. On its way to the Memory Alpha Planetoid, the storehouse of all cultural history and scientific knowledge of the Federation, sensors detect a strange storm. The storm is traveling at a speed of warp 2.6, indicating that it cannot be a natural phenomenon. The storm heads right for the Enterprise, penetrating the shield and attacking different centers of the brain in different crew members. Uhura could not move her hands, Chekhov could not turn his eyes, and Sulu could not speak. However, Lieutenant Mira Romain on board the Enterprise to oversee transmission of data newly gathered by the Enterprise to Memory Alpha seems the hardest hit, much to the concern of Scotty, who is head over heels in love with Mira. She faints. When McCoy revives her, she makes strange growling noises and then seems to be normal again. However, she then refuses to cooperate with McCoy when he attempts to examine her. The storm then heads for the shieldless memory alpha, killing all of those who are aboard the planetoid and burning out the central memory core, a true disaster for the Federation. Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Scott beam down to see what damage has been done and see a scene of which Mira has had a premonition. The landing party finds one technician alive, but this technician begins making strange growling noises, turns a series of colors, then dies of a brain hemorrhage. Mira is then beamed down, and she warns everyone to return to the Enterprise because the storm is returning. Scans from the Enterprise confirm this, and the landing party returns to the ship. Mira is suspended in transit, but she subsequently beams is beamed aboard. Further scans of the storm indicate that it is composed of 10 separate life units. Kirk tries to communicate with it with the universal translator, but receives no response. As the storm draws closer, Mira has another vision. Kirk fires phasers across the storm's path, but again elicits no response. He then fires directly at the storm, but this action causes Mira to crumple causing Scott to become alarmed and forcing Kirk to desist from further firing. A thorough analysis of Mira's records show that she has extremely flexible responses to new learning situations. A Steinman analysis shows nothing unusual, but a hyperencephalogram shows Mira's brain circuitry pattern to have been altered to match those from the latest tracking of the aliens. This also seems to explain her visions, and Mira reveals that she had one additional vision, that of Scotty dying. In an attempt to rid Mira of the alien influence before the aliens attack again, Kirk rushes her to the gravity-slash-pressure chamber. The aliens attack too soon, however, and Mira becomes completely possessed. Speaking through Mira, the aliens identify themselves as the last survivors of the planet Zatar. They've had to discard their bodies and have been searching for a millennium for someone such as Mira in which they can live out their lives before Mira's consciousness can be completely subjugated 
Scotty puts her in the pressure chamber. Here, the aliens are killed, and Mira is freed. So what's the fun fact for this episode? Well, this episode received absolutely withering criticism for its rampant sexism. Not only is uh, Lieutenant um, Romaine referred to as girl or in the Scottish lass by Scotty, uh, Scotty totally dismisses her fears and experience, almost mansplaining what happened to her. Uh, I found the calling for a girl when she's a uh, officer, uh, serving officer, active duty officer, uh, probably the biggest um, foobar or faux pas. Uh, but um, Scotty, uh, this uh, many commentators seemed she was uh, the damsel in distress, which. Uh, was interesting because there was a woman named Linda Wynn, and she wrote a whole blog defending the lights of Zatar. Uh, it's really too long to quote in this podcast, but I've linked to it. And if you really want to see a point-by-point analysis from another point of view on this, I would urge you to uh, take a look at her blog. She really finds it to be an incredibly poignant love story by an older man who has been wedded to his job and indeed to the Enterprise for most of his professional life, falling head over and heels with a, not only a, a brilliant colleague, but a beautiful uh, younger woman. So it's an interesting take. Uh, I would urge you to, uh, to take a little time to explore this. But it really brings up uh, three things uh, I wanted to talk about today, and that is uh, when you have a situation where uh, you do someone is called a girl at work, that's not appropriate anymore, and how do you deal with that situation? How does that person report uh, sexual harassment or sexism at work? How does middle management respond to that? Uh, She goes in and complains that another colleague has called her a girl. Does that middle manager been trained on what they should do? Should they escalate it? Should they take direct action? Should they uh, go have a talk with the person who engaged in the sexism or the sexual harassment? And then finally, how do you triage your complaints? Complaints, rather. Uh, In every reporting system, triage is absolutely mandatory. And this truly is the MASH triage. Uh, Is it really serious enough that it needs to go immediately to outside counsel? Uh, Well, if it's a senior executive or a board of directors, it may well need to. Uh, If it's something less than that, do you have an investigative team that has an investigative protocol in place so that you can handle it? What's the key element uh, or the common element from all these? Well, the common element is that you have something in place and you planned and you prepared and you're not trying to write something literally at the last minute. So I hope you will uh, have that in place and you'll have trained your middle managers on what to do when the complaint comes in. I hope you'll join me tomorrow when we have yet another one of my favorites from the original series, Requiem for Methuselah. If you enjoyed this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, you can help it grow by sharing it with the biggest Trek fan you know. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.